Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Jewish Reaction, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union, right here on the Nachum Siegel Network and NachumSiegel.com. Of course, you can catch us here every Tuesday morning, immediately following Nachum on JM and the AM, as we discuss a number of different issues that are related uh, to the Jewish community. Um, once again, as uh, all of you are familiar, uh, we began a segment that I'm calling a roundtable discussion last week. Um, and if you missed that, you can catch that show up on the archives on Um But this is going to be part two of a roundtable discussion talking about the singles uh, situation within the broad Jewish community. I'm joined once again uh, by Derek Saker from JWED, Mindy Eisenman from YU Connects, Mark Goldman from Soyu at Sinai, and Rebbitz and Judy Steinig uh, from the OU. Once again, I want to welcome and thank all of our panelists uh, for joining us. Just to catch uh, some of you up, if you missed the first show or as a refresher, and again, uh, to remind everybody, you can always go back to the archives and listen to the show on NachumSiegel.com. Uh, we spent a little bit of time talking about just whether or not there is a single situation, how it came about, how to deal with it, uh, and specifically a number of different factors, whether or not people being very picky or men having lists or technology or location and how all these play a different part in it. Um, for the second part, I actually thought I actually have some what I think um, are relatively specific questions that I'm sure will be broadened out. Uh, and they might be generalizations, but I'm going to try to, to, to obviously not generalize um, as best as possible. The first question that I had uh, for all of our panelists, and if it's okay, we'll start with uh, Derek Saker from JWED, is the relatively new reality of what I call, or I've been calling, uh, the freshbacks uh, from Israel. You know, everybody nowadays, the thing to do, no matter where you're from, what school you're in, yeshiva, high school, public school, whatever it is, is to go to Israel for a year. For many, that year becomes a year and a half, maybe two, maybe more. And then as Robertson Steinig actually mentioned at the very beginning of the last show, is the pressure or reality that some people are facing of, well, I'm coming back from Israel, now is the time to start dating, and now is the time to get married. But what I have seen, even amongst my, my own friends, is that there's a different religious level and following when you're in Israel for the year. You're in a secluded island. Nothing else matters. You don't have any responsibilities. All you can do is focus on yourself and your personal growth and your learning. But then when you come back home to wherever that's from, a lot of that kind of falls by the wayside because you're faced with real life in terms of friends, in terms of distractions, in terms of college, in terms of other responsibilities that you didn't have when you were, when you were in Israel. And for those who have found their spouse early on and they get married at a very young age, there are a lot of times where the couple, either together or one of the two in the couple, will have, let's say, a religious fallback or... Uh, restructuring. I don't know what the right word is, but to, to be at the religious level where they're going to be, and that in itself can cause a number of different issues within a marriage and just within the dating world. So, Derek, if you can talk a little bit about the situation of somebody who comes back from Israel, and they're not exactly at the point where they're going to be in three or four years for the rest of their life. Okay, so uh, let me just say, obviously, this is a very, very subjective area here, and every situation Absolutely. is different, and every parent is different, and what's good for one is not good for the other. It's, it's a, you know, this is really a whole Pandora's box here, and I, I don't want to talk in generalizations. What I will say, though, is that, um, you know, it's, it's not obviously the same for someone going to Eretz Israel who's, who's from, from birth. But, but I've always, I've always, you know, I've always understood, for instance, I mean, I'm Ballet Shiva. I've always understood in some ways, for instance, Aisha Torah or Samech, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll lend it why I'm talking about this now. 
as I understand them, as sort of ICU units, uh, intensive care units. And it's a, it's a necessitated bubble um, that uh, someone goes through, uh, but it's not it's not real, it's not the reality of life. And uh, for many people, then when they come out of that bubble, um, their idea and understanding of themselves and of marriage um, does not gel with reality. And I think that. Um, on the one hand, you know, our children who are, you know, you know, thank God we can afford the opportunity to send them to Israel, to send them to excellent institutions. At the same time, I think that the questions can be asked in terms of how these institutions um, instill and, and the values that they nurture in terms of their attitudes to themselves, in terms of the attitudes and the understanding and expectations of marriage uh, in relation to their marriage partner, their future spouse. I think that many of those areas are neglected. I think on the one hand, yes, obviously there's a tremendous focus, rightly so, in terms of growth, in terms of one's own spiritual growth, in terms of Yerushalayim and drawing closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and understanding, you know, one's relationship. But I think that very often, um, as you say, people then come back to a, a, a reality of, say, life here uh, outside Israel, outside uh, the, the seminary or the yeshiva environment, and they juxtapose their understanding as to what they see is ideal um, in their pursuit of immediate marriage, and then which can obviously then result in in, 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 in very problematic situations. So I think that uh, on the one hand, I think it's important that um, these institutions uh, divorce the two and understand that they are both and equally important. The focus, obviously, on the self-growth of the individual and so forth, but also at the same time the understanding that this person has in terms of themselves and to and, and to marriage and and so forth. And as you know, I'm sure you've got many stories, anecdotes of parents who, you know, their, their children come back and they, 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 not only spiritually, very often they can't relate to, and that's a separate issue, but they feel that their children are making far-reaching decisions um, where you correctly say so, where they, the, the parents themselves see as not meshing with who they are uh, and where they will be in three, four years' time. So I think it's a very, very complex issue and uh, like many aspects in our community and that it, it takes a unified, uh, a unified approach and in yielding kids, uh, young adults who come back from Eretz Israel who are both, you know, spiritually infused and spiritually, uh, you know, uh, on, a, on another plane, but at the same time have their feet on the ground and have a very healthy understanding as to the type of person they should be looking for and when they should be looking for that person. Very well put. Uh, Revitzen Steinig? To continue with what Derek was saying, I think that too many times kids come back, particularly the girls, will already be uh, contacting their mothers. Well, I'm coming back on uh, June 30th. Do you have the dates lined up? And a lot of mothers feel very pressured, and that's what they're doing. And I've understood that by September, you've, you're already seeing the marriages. And as a mother myself, I, I, I don't understand it. To me, these girls coming back, the, the, the mothers have to get past the panic that their kids won't get married. I think with God's help, we should have some amuna to think that it will happen at the proper time. And first, let's get these kids freshly coming back from Israel. Let's figure out what they're going to be doing to get some marketable skills that will be good later on for career, parnasa, etc. Get them into college programs, use whatever credits came back from Israel, get them into... Get them back into American society. I, I heard of one father from a very firm family that before his daughter left for Israel the year before, he, he asked her, what is it that you're looking, you think you would be looking for in a young man later on? And, and where do you want to be yourself? And he put that, he sealed it into an envelope. 
And when he when she came home saying, I want a full time lawyer, whatever it was that she said, he said he wasn't going to entertain any ideas for her in Shaduchim for another six months. He wanted to see if she was going to backtrack. And, and she did somewhat, is what I heard. But the idea that these these exciting spiritual revelations that the kids have in Israel, we know that they don't necessarily last. So we have to get them back into this country, get them back into their families, and see, hopefully they have grown. Hopefully there, there should have been some changes, but not necessarily completely where they are when they get off the plane. And they have to decompress, figure out what they're doing, and and to me, dating is not necessarily the first thing that they should be doing. And if they would date a little bit later, then we'd probably have a lot less problems with the t- t- statistics. You know, the, the, a lot of things would just relax themselves more if they weren't pressured or, or, or bite in, you know, eat up the pressure that they're feeling, that they would just calm, calm down. If everybody would calm down a bit, we'd probably be in a lot better shape. And Mark Goldman from Soyuet Sinai. So the... the Coming back from a year in Israel, I, I think, actually is a microcosm of the rest of your life, but on steroids. And what I mean by that is, for the rest of the rest of everybody's life, there are changes in someone religiously. There are changes in people economically. Um, what they feel about uh, life, whether it's politics, whether it's religion, whatever it might be, people change over time. I know I'm a very different person in hopefully many positive ways, but maybe people might say in a few different ways also than I was uh, 10 years ago. And when someone comes back from Israel, that type of change, again, has been magnified and accelerated significantly. So we're probably not going to change, and honestly, I think it's a positive thing that people are going to Israel for the year, learning about Judaism as a whole, hopefully growing maturity-wise and in many other aspects. But I think when people come back, the best thing that the Rabbanim in Israel can do, and even parents and people here, is uh, don't forget about a larger uh, pool of people to, to, to look at. So it shouldn't be narrowly focused. It shouldn't be just exactly where I am today. And if someone is slightly less religiously than when I am today, I could never consider them. I think that is a, that is a big challenge because people are being encouraged to only look for somebody who is very similar to where they are today. And they have to realize that Maybe they will fly back. Maybe they'll continue their growth in a, in a religious direction that will take them even more to the right of where they are today. So they found somebody where they are exactly right now. That might not be enough. So I think that is where we have to be open, more open-minded. And if we realize that, yes, there are tremendous changes that have occurred in the past year, and hopefully most of them, most of them are very positive, but people are not going to stay, stand exactly where they are today. And that's going to be true in many aspects of their life. And as long as we're remaining open-minded, that will make it much easier to find someone when we return from Israel rather than just saying, okay, this is exactly where I am, and let's go into, into another hyperdrive, hyperthyroid drive mode of trying to find someone exactly where I am right now. Uh, and Mindy Eisenman from YU Connects, actually, you probably have... I would say the, the population that you're dealing with of YU students, that's probably as close to a similar situation that these kids have in Israel just simply because you're on the YU campus, you're surrounded by a YU student body, by a YU area, as opposed to, let's say, a student who comes back to the University of Maryland or to Binghamton or anywhere else where they are more exposed to a lot of these distractions. So, Mindy? True. Um, just to build on a lot of what was said, um, you know, there's a cute saying that guys don't want to go out with girls who just got back for the first six months because they want them to come down a little bit from their spiritual high 
while girls don't want to go out with guys who just came back from Israel because they want to make sure that they maintain the spiritual eye. Um, so it is true that, you know, you have that diversity. But Israel is a wonderful experience, and every person is an individual. And when they first come to college, uh, to Yeshiva University and to any other college, um, or even if they're just going straight into learning, they're first figuring out who they are, um, and that's very important before they start to date, to figure out who they are and what's important to them. Um, and they, if they start dating right away and they're not even sure what they're looking for or what's important to them, they get burnt out before they're even 21. Um, but if they're encouraged to wait a little bit and solidify what's important to them and their values and, and what's going to, what they can do to make a relationship work, uh, then they can also be encouraged, as Mark said, to broaden their horizons and look for a person as a whole as opposed to specific points. I, if I can just quickly add, uh, very quickly, I, I think, as I said earlier on, I think that so many of the issues in the dating, the, the challenges in the dating world, are symptomatic of much larger problems. And I think that this is this is the classic situation. What we're talking about here is a much broader problem, of course, which is where let's just uh, the, the which is the issue of how we understand Torah study and more importantly, thought time story study, and particularly in relation to that and earning a living. Where today, you know, in many parts of our community. Um, you know, focusing on panasa is devalued and, and, and seen as, uh, you know, less significant or even insignificant. And so it's no surprise that, therefore, this manifests itself, you know, within the uh, the challenges that, 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 that singles face. Not least because, to be quite honest, that many of these excellent yeshivas and seminaries um, who, while uh, nurturing the spiritual development of an individual, at the same time, very often, are projecting to these to these girls, for instance, that the ideal is someone who is X and Y, and that X and Y is very often someone who's, say, only focused on learning, uh, you know, where the, the pursuit of panasa is something very secondary, if all, and, uh, and then a lot of these girls come back, come back with that attitude. Um, and so, again, I think the, the, uh, the, the challenges of singles is very much symptomatic of much broader problems uh, within the community. You're listening to the Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. You can catch us here on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. immediately following uh, Nachum on JM and the AM. Uh, if you have any questions, either for myself or any of our panelists, please be in touch with me at Ellie. That's E-L-I at NachumSiegel.com. And, of course, this is part two of a two-part segment uh, talking about the Jewish uh, single situation. And you can always catch part one back on the archives uh, at NahumSiegel.com. Uh, my next question is, uh, and I'll start with Mindy on this, is that I want to talk a little bit about the quote-unquote older singles. Now, everybody's going to have a different definition for what older is. Is it 30? Is it 40? Is it 50? If somebody has been previously divorced, they're still a single. And, you know, and where does that play in? Um, but I'm more curious in terms of let's just pick the 30 to 40 range. And I think it'll be different for men and women. Is there such a concept as over the hill, too old, it's probably not going to happen? And Or is that something that maybe a single tells themselves just to either justify, clarify for themselves or try to come to terms with their current reality without obviously knowing what's going to be? Uh, Mindy? It's an interesting question. Uh, we feel that, we at Connect feel that we should never judge people. Um, and people change based on their age, based on their situation, and plenty of people get married in their 30s. 
And, you know, from 30 to 40, it's, it's a very exciting race. Many people now feel more comfortable with who they are. Um, they, uh, I, I don't think you can write off anyone, and I don't think it's fair to stigmatize or call anyone, um, oh, they're older or they're not as marriageable because of their age. I think everyone has something to offer to a relationship. And just today in the office, we were talking about how we have someone who's dating who's in his 50s and he's never been married and someone who is going out with someone and they're in their 40s and they've never been married. So people are dating and people are, people don't give up. People really want that beautiful relationship at all ages. And Mark? Okay, so saying someone is a, I guess, an older signal in their 30s or 40s or whatever age you want to pick is uh, obviously subjective based on who the individual is. Uh, again, I'll talk my personal experience. Uh, I was not ready to get married in my 20s. I, I just wasn't. I wasn't maybe mature enough. I, I was traveling around for work. I was a manager of consulting and enjoying the, the life of, uh, from an intellectual standpoint, from my mind growth as, as, it, as it was. So I, it would have been the wrong thing for me to get married in my 20s. So for me, getting married in my 30s, I wasn't, I wasn't 36 until I finally got married, was the right thing to do. Had, would someone have gone ahead and said, well, that's too old. Um, you didn't get married early enough. I'm sure some people had that opinion. So there are many great individuals that are uh, getting married in their 30s, getting married in their 40s, or, or even later. I think, though, there is a challenge, though, as someone gets older. Uh, one, of course, is the stigma that people say, oh, you know, that they've been single for that long, and that in itself causes a, causes a problem. Um, but the other area is something that I mentioned on, on last week's show, is that if someone it does remain in a single status for a very long time, there definitely becomes a challenge. The challenge is you've been able to focus on yourself for so long that the we that you have when you have a, a, a wife or a husband and the we that you have when you have children and you are forced to see that no matter what happens, they're always being put first. And that growth that you have as an individual is not always uh, something that's necessary when, when you're single, when you can travel at a, at a moment's notice, when you can do whatever you want at a moment's notice. So although there are a lot of amazing people, the challenge that every individual will go ahead and encounter as they become older and older is they don't have that growth ability as easily as you're forced to have when you're in a relationship and when you're in a marriage um, and all the positives that, that come with that, the compassion and the, uh, the growth that it comes with that overall. Mm -hmm. uh, Derek? Uh, let me give you an example. Actually, recently, uh, we, uh, someone who got married on our service, um, they got married. They were, I think, uh, they were. He was 36 and she was 30, 35, and uh, they they met through through JWed. Um, they also happened to have dated uh, for actually for a month or two, uh, about 10 years before that. And um, when I spoke to uh, when I spoke to them. The inevitable question is very often is, you know, wow, you know, you know, when you'd got it right, you know, 10 years ago, you missed out, whatever. And both of them basically totally rejected that. And they said, what are you talking about? We are very, you know, very different people where we are today. And the reason why we broke up then is because uh, there, were, there were profound differences between the two of us. Or most, or, or probably, they were probably more so in the sense of, of them uh, less understanding maybe who they were and what they were looking for. And that it, you know, it took a number of years for each of them in their own way, in their own different way to understand exactly who they were and what they were looking for. So, every, so what is the right age? I mean, every, every situation is very unique. Um, um, 
there was one thing I wanted to say, which I'll just forget, so let me just think about that. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've had people that have got obviously married in our service in their 20s, 30s, 50s, 60s, uh, even in their 70s. Um, I mean, we're also coming through, there's a baby boom generation which is coming of age. And, um, you know, there, there's people that are widowed and there's people, as we've discussed before, more and more who are divorced in their 50s and 60s who suddenly find themselves, which is always a challenge, obviously, finding yourself single at that age um, in, in getting married. Um, regarding the other point that, uh, that Mark mentioned in terms of as you get older and uh, the the greater pressure that have there, there's no question. There's no question that some a guy who's a, a guy or girl who's single at 39, and a guy or girl who's divorced at 39, that the divorcee is often much more of a catch, because. Um, uh, and I'm generalizing here, of course, but very often, as Mark said, uh, the person who's seen as uh, divorced at you know, 39 or 40 and never married, uh, people will uh, very often, of course, wrongly presume that there's some innate problem with the individual. You know, how, how is it that they're not married? They must have dated hundreds of people, as opposed to someone who's, um, you know, got divorced and, and is, uh, and is an, uh, of the same age. People will understand, uh, right or wrongly, that that person obviously has, you know, lived something of a life in terms of a relationship. They've confronted relationship, they made commit, they made a commitment, but for whatever reason it didn't work out, but that person has been through that experience, and that experience to many people uh, yields a sense of greater maturity, and um, so, so even though someone who, you know, maybe 39 or 49 who's never married, who must be the most wonderful person, um, there's no question that as, as a single gets older, particularly who's never married, that it becomes more of a challenge. And Robertson Sinek? You know, it's funny, when you deal with older singles, it's amazing what each person refers to as what is an older single. Some people might think an older single could be somebody in their 50s and 60s, and I have seen people refer to older singles, no joke, as a young woman who is 22 years old. I mean, this this whole, unfortunately, the whole idea of the phrasing older single can be so painful to those involved. Definitely, I have seen many, many singles in their 30s find the right one, and we're just so happy that it happens. Um, it Really, it doesn't matter what their age is, as long as they're proceeding through the process properly. My My biggest issue is when I see people that are, let's say, um, older than 40, older than 50, and discounting people who would be appropriate for them age-wise and only looking to see people that are maybe 15, 20 years younger. That, to me, is an issue that um, has to be addressed. Uh, sometimes it's that they feel a woman over 35 can't give birth, which, of course, is not correct. Uh, all sorts of things. But I think that people have to, whatever age they are, they have to date and look for an appropriate match for them. So I've run many, many events for people over 35 or 40. And sometimes men will come to those events and, and uh, the women there are wonderful and certainly appropriate. And they'll say, no, 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 they're, they're too old for me. And that, to me, is is one of the issues that we get to with older singles. Are they dating? Are they looking in the mirror to remember what age they are and to find somebody who would be appropriate? 
You're listening to The Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. My name is Eli Hagler. I'm the Associate Director of Yachad, and I'm being joined by a panel of distinguished individuals, starting with Derek Saker from JWED, Mark Goldman from Soyu at Sinai, Mindy Eisenman from YU Connects, and Rebetz and Judy Steinig from the Orthodox Union, having a roundtable discussion talking about the singles situation or issue or the singles um, chapter, let's call it, of the Orthodox uh, community. And, and something that Robinson Steinig just touched upon was the, the age difference. And that was something I wanted to get to. Um, and I'm not talking about the age difference of, let's say, a 55-year-old dating a 40-year-old. I don't think anybody would think that that was any any type of an issue. Maybe. Uh, my question more is, take a smaller age gap or a scenario where the woman is older uh, than the man. You know, I'll tell you, my wife is a year older than I am, and at least in my world, in my circle, in my friends, I think I'm the only one that I know of. Is there anything to that where people have the perception or where a guy has a perception that he needs to marry a girl younger or where a girl has a, per- uh, a perception where she needs to marry um, a guy older? And Rebbe Tzadik, you introduced the topic sort of, so let's start with you. I think that each person, when they're dating has to find a person. I don't think the obsession about the age really needs to be there any which way, as long as it's within a an acceptable age group. I mean, you said 40 to 55. I, I'm not sure that I'm 100% comfortable with that. But again, if the man and women involved are happy with it, then it works for them. What I'm a little more, what I have a little bit of a discomfort is with when a when you run an event or when you have some some kind of a age limit of let's say 55 and somebody 60 or 65 comes and tells you oh i'm very happy with young women in their 30s and that's where i usually say that might be your happiness level but it won't be those dating and it's not there are many many women that are appropriate for you in your age group so let's go there and i think that there are some people that are just not looking for an appropriate relationship in that in that sense. And what about the much smaller age gap? You know, take a 27-year-old girl, is it should they be dating? Is it okay to date a 23-year-old guy? I think if it works for her and it works for him, who who am I to say? I would say it really depends on you know, in a smaller age gap, I think that's always quite reasonable. But again, obviously the younger you are, the smaller the age gap usually would be. Right, I mean, a four-year age gap is a big difference to a 23-year-old, whereas it might not yes, be to a 33-year-old. Yes. I mean, I would, I would be hesitant to think of a 20-year-old girl with a 27-year-old man. I would think that that, it, I can't say it, it's not impossible, but I would say that it, it's not as typical. And Mindy Eisenman from YU Connects. I happen to agree with Judy, but I think that traditionally guys always had the perception that they need to marry younger. I think it's not just about age, but it's also about maturity, that many guys feel that, you know, girls mature faster, so therefore they're better off going out with someone their own age or younger. Um, Yet lately, I guess because the talk, and the more people talk, really the more people really listen, um, many guys that I meet with, we encourage them, well, would you at least entertain someone, you know, your age and a year older or, you, you know, a year or two older, depending on his age. Many of them are actually very um, open to dating someone who might have already finished school and therefore, you know, they don't have to worry about them both being school in school at the same time. Uh, so we're really, I think, because everyone is talking about it in the Jewish world about 
opening themselves up to this, I really think people are listening to it. And Mark Goldman from Soyuz Sinai. Or someone to go ahead and just make a, I guess, an arbitrary statement that the, either the girl has to be four years younger than me, five years younger than me to even consider it, I think is going ahead and causing someone to miss out a lot of opportunities, uh, especially when, if someone's in their 20s and they feel they are the right maturity level, or the, the potential it would be for the right person to be exactly their age. Um, in addition to that, the... The age gap, which, which was mentioned, uh, I guess, on last week's episode as well, just very briefly, that's also, again, a contributing factor to overall having an imbalance of, of men and women in the marketplace. If everyone always considers someone four or five years younger as being the only opportunity for them to start dating, and that's what they're considering, just mathematically it, it, it has been shown to, uh, again, cause, uh, unfortunately, a lot of uh, women not being able to find, the, uh, find someone appropriate for themselves. So just from an age perspective, the age gap perspective, that definitely does cause a challenge. Um, where we have seen, though, that uh, men feel they, they have a legitimate reason that they must do that is when you start getting to the age where uh, the factor comes in whether or not they can have a, the women will be able to have a child or not. And that particular area starts, I think, widening the gap and causing an additional problem. Uh, whether it's true or not true, when someone, a man in their, in their early 40s, quite often will want to date someone that's much younger than them because they feel, well, I still want to have children, and someone who's my age uh, will have much more challenging uh, situation of, of having a child. So that uh, increases the overall age gap as well, and um, they feel that's, 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 that's a good reason, and, and understandably so, they want to have children, great. But I, I think that also exas- exacerbates the overall challenge as you start hitting that, that line, whether the right line is at 39, 40, 42, or even you know, 44, 45, people are legitimately having children today. Um, that is becoming a, a challenging factor when you get to that, the late 30s and, and early 40s. So that's, uh, that, that does widen the gap. Uh, Derek Saker from JWeb. In terms of the uh, statistics on JWeb, the uh, the typical um, difference in age is between zero and five years. Uh, that's over nearly uh, two and a half thousand people married. Uh, unlike my parents, who are ten years apart, but anyway, they should live in the will. Um, I, we, you know, we always encourage our members that um, they should not be, you know, completely fixated in age. And the story comes to mind of a couple who got married about two years ago. And um, in the story, she told us that she had a criteria of five years. And, uh, you know, in her search, she had, a, you know, an advanced search that was saved. And every, you know, few days she'd log in and she'd do a, se- she'd do a search and so forth. Anyway, for, for whatever one reason, there was a glitch in the system. And um, she had to put in the, uh, the, the, uh, the years that she was looking for again. And accidentally, she put in like an extra two years. And uh, what happened was a profile came up of someone um, who was uh, two years older than she'd been looking a year in, year out. And uh, it was a, you know, comprehensive profile. He looked interesting. And, you know, she suddenly felt, listen, you know, he's two years more than I was looking for. And, uh, but uh, she decided to reach out to him. Anyway, long story short, they got married. So I think uh, on the one hand, it's certainly understandable that uh, particularly, um, I think it's certainly understandable that people want to put uh, a certain criteria on age as to who they're looking for. And certainly uh, in terms of Mark's point that uh, very often, uh, you know, guys obviously, uh, not obviously, but very often looking to have children. And so therefore um, you know, prescribes a certain age. Um, but then again, you know, there's obviously also differences between, for instance, Ashkenazim and Sephardim. You know, many, for instance, Sephardi women uh, who are in their 20s will want to marry someone who's established uh, in their mid and late 30s.
Um, and in fact, uh, we learned about that quite funnily enough because we have these automated controls within within JWed, so that, for instance, when someone sends out uh, I don't know a number of emails in one day to very different types of profiles, it raises uh, it can raise red flags. So we started noticing with with many young Safari girls that they would be initiating contact with with a lot older men, and initially we didn't really understand this, and then we saw that again, this is not a complete generalisation here, but for many Safari women, uh, young women. They, they prefer to, to date uh, someone who's you know quite a lot older than, than them, as opposed to um, in Ashkenazi world. Um, last thing, just about age, is that um, th- there's another whole issue to this, and this is not the age as to what people are looking for, of course, but the age as to how what people you know ascribe to how the, how old they are in reality, and that is that people lie about their age. And that's symptomatic of a larger problem because there are rabbis that will tell people that it's okay to lie about your age and so forth. And so we have this, you know, this vicious uh, cycle of deceit where, um, you know, you know, Shlomo says he's this age, but he's really that age, and Shani says she's that age, but she's really this age and so forth. And um, it becomes a fixation. And, 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 as, and as a consequence of the importance that understandably to an extent put on it, so you have people uh, that are lying about their age constantly. And uh, that obviously creates many, many problems manifold in itself. You're listening to The Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. My name is Eli Hagler, I'm the Associate Director, and of course we're having a roundtable discussion talking about the single situation uh, within the broad Jewish community. Um, I think my next and last question is going to be something that uh, um, I've actually faced personally, Is the and we've uh, spoken about this both in the segment from last week and also in this segment, is the reality that nowadays um, women have changed their role within the family dynamic. It's no longer the scenario where the woman is home taking care of the kids and kind of sharing the responsibilities with the man where the man is, let's say, the breadwinner. Um, but now women have been going, more women are in school, more women are in graduate school, more women are employed, more women are working, and it kind of changes uh, the dynamic, and I'll tell you personally, the reason that I, I had thought of this is my wife is a doctor, and she would tell me that there are a lot of times where people specifically did not want to go out with a girl who was in medical school or a girl who was in uh, residency, and to me it was just something that never crossed my mind. It wasn't a factor, it wasn't an issue, but the reality is that for some people, um, it is. So I'm curious what your take is on on the women who are, let's say, professionally motivated, how their single uh, placement might change uh, some other factors if, let's say, marriage isn't their number one priority, but rather maybe their number two behind uh, their professional development. And let's start with Mark. So I guess we have uh, something in common. My wife actually happens to be a doctor as well. And uh, so that's, uh, um, that, that's obviously somebody who went through many, many years of, of a specialty in order to excel in her field. Um, and that's, that is something that obviously affects our lifestyle today. So it's not just something that might affect your dating, but it, it is, in fact, something that does affect our lives. Absolutely. Yeah, it has a demanding, demanding schedule. Uh, and that's something while you're dating that has to be taken into account for positive or for negative. Positive, obviously, is somebody else who has a tremendous understanding of the world and can have great conversations and, and is able to bring in additional parnasa to their additional, uh, you know, fundings to family, which is all very, very positive. At the same time, it also has some challenges, which is the scheduling is, is less than ideal and, uh, you're, you're kind of, 
um, limited on two people's schedules as far as maintaining the family schedule as well as two people that have a professional schedule as well. So it's a legitimate item to take into consideration. It's something that a generation ago really was uh, more of a single breadwinner, quote-unquote, that uh, one had the traditional role at home, the other one had a traditional role in the, in the marketplace, uh, overall uh, you know, go, earning a living. Um, so it, it is something that many women are going ahead and properly going ahead and educating themselves and finding a great profession, and it does affect someone dating as a whole. Uh, but that said as well, some women have found that the positives of going out and doing this have worked negatively in their favor, precisely for the reason I just outlined, that affects their schedule, and it sometimes can be intimidating. Uh, we have heard that uh, some women um, have said to me <laughs> and also to our staff that having an amazing profession that they thought would only be a positive uh, for the family going forward um, has turned off some men that they feel would have or just be intimidated by them. Now, I guess my thought is, well, those men probably were not right for you because your personality was that you were able to go ahead and, and do something significant in, in your own personal life. So that is helping you weed out the right individuals. Um, but that has turned into a bit of a frustration in, uh, for them. Um, so it has changed the dynamic. Uh, it's changed the dynamic, hopefully, for many people in a, in a positive way, both for the family dynamic as well as the, uh, the women themselves. Uh, it also allows them that if uh, they are, in fact, uh, remaining a single for a longer period of time, they do have a way to, to earn a living for themselves as well. Um, as we mentioned, unfortunately, divorce rates have gone up, and that has given them a way to uh, can support themselves if, God forbid, something does not work out in marriage. So there are many, many positives to, to earning uh, a living, but the negatives are, on the other hand, that uh, some people maybe don't feel as comfortable with that. If you go into a much more right-wing community, um, it's it definitely looked at, as, unfortunately, purely as a negative, although you, you would think that earning a living when someone is sitting and learning all day is a very positive thing. Quite often when someone is seen as gone to college and advanced learning, that, that is a negative that a woman has gone ahead and done that. Uh, so there is a de definitely a paradox here that the person that has to earn a living is also not looked as a positive thing um, when they get such advanced education. So uh, it's definitely a, a new item that I think has introduced new challenges, um, but on the other hand has also, uh, I think, uh, helped people uh, find out more who they are and get more comfortable with themselves as well. Uh, Derek? I concur with everything Mark said. I think there's no question that for a male who pursues uh, anything more in academics or in trade st studies, it is only a plus to his resume, always. It is only a, 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 to his advantage. But I think for no question that for a female, it depends. It's not always, whether they're pursuing uh, an advanced degree or a doctorate or a PhD, whatever, as Mark says. Um, unfortunately for, um, for, for many uh, males, uh, for many understandable reasons, um, a potential uh, spouse can, can feel very insecure. You know, he feels he should be the main breadwinner. He should be, uh, monetary-wise, be earning more than, uh, than his wife. He feels less adequate. Um, I think it's no surprise that, um, that in, in uh, relationships where um, the female, for instance, um, is much more qualified or earning much more money, that in a, in a happy marriage, the husband is someone who is very, very self, very confident in himself, very at ease within himself, lacks no, there's nothing about the, there's no insecurity in his part, and that's what makes a good marriage because the husband has has absolutely no issue uh, in the, the the wife in some ways taking on maybe traditional male stereotypical roles, um, but um, I, I think it's under 
understandable uh, that particularly for for uh, singles who are not married in the late 20s and so forth, uh, and you know while obviously still dating, that they do uh, they do often engage in, um, in the pursuit of high academic qualifications, not least as Mark says in terms of uh, you know better understanding uh, themselves and, um, and 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 pursuing a passion that they, that they also enjoy, uh, and uh, you know it sh- 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 certainly shouldn't be a situation that they should just uh, you know sit where they are and remain stagnant uh, uh, and you know hoping for uh, you know the Bashir to come along, um, feeling that they should not pursue you know um, their passion because uh, they feel it will be discounted uh, against them. Robertson Steinig. To go off from what Derek was saying, certainly when somebody is single, that is the best time for them to be pursuing uh, career goals, uh, academic goals. And while I certainly have heard um, of uh, female uh, people in the medical profession who have been uh, trouble finding an appropriate spouse, I'm happy to see that the two guys here uh, had no problem, Ellie <laughs> and Mark. I, I should call to you. I'm sure you, you're both happy with your choices. <laughs> but I have certainly have heard of women with these issues. And I think that's just a sad statement on our society. I think I've heard some, you know, some feel that, you know, perhaps a woman can't give that much to the family, which is kind of crazy because I've heard of many, many female doctors who can cut their schedules back and all that. It's one of the issues we have that we have to deal with. I think men have to deal with an appropriate self-image and not let these things get in their way. Um, but for a woman, I think that she should go ahead and, and continue with, with her career and her education and look for that appropriate spouse who will be proud of her and excited and how that they can both work together to, to, to bring their family up with, with um, these career goals. Let's put it this way. One of the things I would say is a challenge when somebody has a high-level profession. One of the things that does become complicated, obviously, is balancing the roles. If someone has to travel, bringing up kids, child care is such a huge, huge issue that all ma- that married couples have. But when you're working together at it, that's what marriage is supposed to be. And I think that people that are looking to get married have to look for the spouse, the potential spouse, who will work with them together. And that's what I think it's all about. And I purposely saved uh, Mindy Eisenman from YU Connects last here because in addition to working at YU Connects as a staff connector, Mindy's also a professor at Stern College teaching courses in relationships in the Haras HaMashpacha. So it's, you might have a very interesting and inside view being that you're kind of wearing both hats, working for YU Connects, but also being a professor at a women's college. Thank you. Well, I happen to think that while it is a challenge today, it's also a beautiful thing that women have have gone out and women are accomplishing so much in all these different fields, whether it's a lawyer or a doctor, an accountant, OT, PT, speaks. There are so many things that are available today for women, and I think that that helps them in relationships, that women have so much more to offer um, and I think that all the, the biggest challenge is not necessarily that they're going for these high-powered jobs, but that, but that people, male and female, must make time to date in order to develop a connection and keep the momentum. So often people have to put dating on hold because they're going into exams or a certain time period that they just, there's too much going on, they're doing rounds, they can't date, um, and that's not healthy. Uh, but we encourage, today people can really 
if they put their mind to it, they can do it all. And they really are, people today are wonderful. They really can accomplish all these things. And while there are men who are looking for someone who is in more of the traditional role, the woman that works part-time or the stay-at-home wife, I think just like the two men on this radio show, we have a lot of men out there who um, think it's wonderful that women have ambitious professions and they bring a lot to the relationship. Absolutely. Uh, Mindy, in, in closing, let's have each of our panelists go around and maybe give uh, something in closing as well as obviously sharing a little bit about how to get in touch with them, how to reach out, and what services and how you can offer uh, to our listeners, what you can offer to our listeners. Mindy? Okay. Um, while you connect, as you know, fosters healthy meeting opportunities and relationships towards marriage. Um, it's a, it happens to be the sole provider of comprehensive services and resources to singles for the modern Orthodox community and beyond. Um, it's currently open to Yeshiva University students and to the general public. We actually have a three-pronged structure. We have the website, we have educational forums and resources, and we happen to have unsurpassed social events. The best way to reach us is through whyconnects.com. Uh, we are very available. Our matchmakers are very warm, very friendly. Uh, they quote every single one of their members. And um, we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, Mindy. And uh, Rebetin Steinig? Uh, as Associate Director of Community Services of the Orthodox Union, we have the uh, singles connection through the Orthodox Union, where periodically during the year we have various singles events at the present time, our singles events have been focused doing chesed for the community. We've had a couple of events recently where we did packaging for a local hospital, and this way the singles that would attend would feel that they were doing something that went beyond themselves. They were doing something for others. Um, and beyond that, it was a wonderful social opportunity in which to meet. If anyone would like to contact me, my uh, Contact uh, email is steinigj, S-T-E-I-N-I-G-J, at OU.org. I want to thank so much our panelists because it's been a wonderful experience. Thank you. And Derek? Uh, yes, I'd just like to thank the, my fellow panelists and, um, and you, uh, and Ellie. Um, I'd say that basically as many as, as uh, there are challenges, um, it's not all doom and gloom. And there are beautiful horizons. And individuals of all age do can and do find love and find their bachet, uh, utilizing any number of means, including uh, uh, the websites that we've been uh, speaking about here and many other, and Shadchanim and so forth. And um, again, on our service, we've had nearly 2,500 married, and we, we average about four weddings a week. I'll just leave, just leave by saying this. I think, that as, as always, it's always important to maintain a healthy balance in, 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 in searching for one's bashat. And, um, yes, there is the technical element, which is obviously very important to us as from Jews in terms of the criteria, religious criteria, in terms of he or she, you know, uh, covering of hair and the, 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 the dress and the learning and so forth. There's no question, you know, that those are very important. Marriage is as, as challenging as it is. It's obviously... Uh, it's obviously get better to, to get off on the right footing where religiously you feel you're very compatible. But I do think that it runs the risk, and it does run the risk, of forgetting about uh, the other equally important elements of a person. And that are the simple notions of, is this a good person? Is this a kind person? Is this a caring person? And I think that very often these such central aspects of, of, of what can be your life partner are overlooked. 
And so even though maybe that person does not exactly uh, fit this criteria in terms of this technical aspect of religiosity, the overriding goodness of that person and the overriding wonderful nature of that person lend themselves to someone that one should consider for marriage. So I just want to thank again my fellow panelists and you, Ellie, and I, I think that we really uh, illuminated a number of very uh, challenging issues. Thank you, Derek. And let's finish up with Mark. Thank you, Ellie, uh, for putting together uh, the group, and it's really been a pleasure speaking with my fellow panelists, so thank you, everyone, for participating uh, with me today. Uh, first of all, Soy with Sinai, we're, we're excited to have been able to help so many people over the past decade. We've had over 2,300 people uh, get engaged in Maori through the site since 2004. We have 30,000 active members of all ages and, and really religious backgrounds, and uh, success, we, we feel, has been due, due to the technology of and the, that the Internet is able to to give us and the, the sophisticated uh, algorithms we put in place, but also the personal touch of the matchmakers and to be able to attend to each person's unique needs and, and personality and be able to pre-screen kind of what they want and hopefully uh, increase the, the accuracy over time. Uh, we have over 300 matchmakers on the site uh, and they are all specializing in, in different ages and, and different religious backgrounds, able to help people all over the world. You can sign up today at soywithsanae.com and thank, us, thank you for allowing us to kind of share with the way that, uh, that we do things and, and share with the public. But one thing I do want to close in saying that whether it's Soyu at Sinai or one of the other services that uh, is mentioned today, one of the key things that everyone should keep in mind is there are many different ways that people meet their, their right spouse. And people should try many different avenues because you don't know which one is going to be the right one for you until after it happens. So don't narrow yourself into whether it's offline, online, particular service, a particular way, whether it's a professional matchmaker, your friend, your uncle setting you up, or just meeting somebody face-to-face. -face. I think people should try many different ways of doing that because you never know which way is actually going to work for you. Thank you, everyone. You've been listening to The Jewish Reaction right here on the Nachum Siegel Network, presented by the OU, the Orthodox Union. My name is Eli Haglund, the Associate Director of Yachad, and I want to thank all of our panelists. Again, Rebitz and Judy Steinick from the OU, Mark Goldman from Soyu at Sinai, Mindy Eisenman from YU Connects, and Derek Saker from JWED for joining us. If you have any questions, either for myself or the other panelists, please feel free to email me at Eli, that's E-L-I, at NahumSiegel.com. Just one last time, I want to thank all of our panelists for joining us. And I thought you guys were all spectacular. So you're all invited back anytime you want, right here at the Jewish Reaction on the Nahum Siegel Network at NahumSiegel.com. <laughs> Yerushalayim, 
Yeah. <laughs> 